Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome everyone to day number nine. All the group has just finished the tour in the garden tomb and we are leaving the bus to drive all the way around the walls of Jerusalem and we will see the gates of Jerusalem and we're going to talk about each gate and we will enter the old city of Jerusalem through Dung Gate to go and learn about the Davidson Museum, one of the most important archaeological park and we're going to speak about the Pentecost in this podcast. What we see is the current walls of Jerusalem. The walls were built in the 16th century from 1535 to 1542 by the Ottoman Turkish Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent. The walls stretch approximately 4.5 kilometers or we can say 2.8 miles in length and rise to a height of between 5 to 15 meters in some places between 16 to 50 feet high with a thickness of 3 meters or 10 feet at the base of the wall you have to understand there are 34 towers and 8 gates surrounding the city starting with Damascus Gate, which we see in front of us. This is one of the most beautiful and the largest decorated gate of the old city of Jerusalem. Also, this gate faces north and is named for the grand city of Damascus from which Jerusalem rulers once came from. It is always a busy gate and it's always like uh, bustling and with the markets and the people and so active it's the most active gate in jerusalem and below the gate itself as you see if you look down to the left side there is another small arch this small arch were uncovered by archaeologists showing the entrance of Jerusalem during the Emperor Hadrian period, 2nd century BC, from 135 AD. The next gate we see is called Herod's Gate. It's named after Herod the Great, but you have to understand that this gate is a smaller gate leading inside the old city. And Herod carries the reputation till today because Herod's temple was nearby and this gate leads to the markets of the old city but in the first century it led to the temple mount to Herod's temple and this is why it gained the reputation to be called Herod's gate in English but in Arabic and Hebrew have a different name we call it the flowers gate because there is a rosette shape of a flower rosette carved over the top of the gate but this is again a very small gate and i'm going clockwise with the names of the gates because we are driving all the way from damascus gate and making a round around the walls of jerusalem so the next gate we see is the lion's gate because of two carved animals placed on the top right and left of the gate you will not be able to see them from here from the bus but they are actually these animals are not lions actually they are 
like leopards. This is the symbol of the 13th century Sultan Vipers, the Sultan of Egypt and Syria. Actually, he was famous for his military campaigns against the Mongols and the Crusaders. And he was a very strong and powerful Sultan. And this gate is called also St. Stephen Gate after the first Christian martyr, which tradition says was stoned nearby this gate. Lion's Gate leads to the pools of Bethesda, leads to the Via Dolorosa and the markets of Jerusalem. Gate number four is a very famous gate, especially to the Western world. The name of it is the Golden Gate or the Gate of Mercy, or known by the Eastern Gate. And this gate is in the eastern part of the Temple Mount wall, as you see facing the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives, and have been blocked for so many centuries, and is said to be awaiting a miraculous opening when the Messiah comes back and he will enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate and the dead will be resurrected. And you see the large cemetery in front of this gate. We'll continue to gate number five, the Dung Gate. This is a very unusual name, the Dung Gate, because throughout history, all the garbage of the old city was dumped, was thrown from outside this gate because of the prevailing winds that will carry the smells away. The bus now arrived to the Dungate and we will enter to the archaeological park, the Davidson Museum, through this gate. But before doing that, let me continue explaining for you about the other gates of Jerusalem. Zion Gate. And this gate bears the earliest biblical name in Hebrew and in English because the gate is located on the area what is known by Mount Zion. In Arabic, this gate have a different name. It's named David's Gate because King David's tomb is also nearby here, adjacent to Mount Zion. And this gate leads to the Armenian quarter. Next is the new gate. This is the only gate in the old city that is not part of the original plan or design of the 16th century Turkish walls because it was opened at a later stage. It was opened in 1888 to allow Christian pilgrimage to connect with the Christians living in the Christian quarter and to have a quicker access to the holy sites. So this is called the new gate, which means the most recent gate opened that connects the West Jerusalem with the Christian quarter. Next we have Jaffa Gate, because the direction of this gate leads to Jaffa, because pilgrims throughout history were coming from the seaport of Jaffa to Jerusalem. Until today, there's a road called Jaffa Road. And this gate uh, leads to the Christian quarter and leads to the Jewish quarter and also leads to the Muslim quarter, as well to the most popular parts of the market and to the Tower of David Museum. Once was Jerusalem Citadel and standing powerful with the walls of this fortress but now it's a museum about the history of Jerusalem. So hereby we mentioned the eight gates of Jerusalem. Now the group is walking inside the Dine Gate to go all the way to the Davidson Center, the Jerusalem Archaeological Park, which is nearby the Western Wall inside the old city of Jerusalem. And you have to understand that Davidson Center is one of Jerusalem's top touristic attractions due to its historical and archaeological significance. Davidson Center is home to some of the most important, even archaeological finds in all of Jerusalem. That goes back mainly to the Second Temple period, 
to the time of Jesus and this is why we are here to learn about it. Now we are entering to the museum and the security guy will ask for me to show him the tickets. It is a standard procedure here and he is one of my friends. He is a Maronite Christian. He works as a security and he is armed. So the group think that I am famous or popular because I know everyone here. No, the old city is very small and everyone knows each others. Anyway, we are standing at the entrance of the museum opposite to a huge aerial map of Jerusalem. I love to use maps because this way I can point for the group where we are standing right now and give them orientation and let them understand what we are doing next and to have a better perspective of where we are especially adjacent to the walls of Jerusalem and compared to the gates of the city we just talked about and to the Temple Mount area I will show them and point for them the Kidron Valley I will point for them the Hinnom Valley which is the south of Jerusalem and the Triporium Valley which we are standing in and I will draw for them on the map exactly what we're gonna do during our visit and I will show them on the map where we're gonna arrive to the southern steps and this way they can comprehend and understand the tour in a better way opposite to the entrance of this museum is also a map from the 16th century AD. It illustrates the location and the vision of Jerusalem in the center of the three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. And this map illustrates the famous reference about Jerusalem from the book of the Midrash. The Midrash, the word itself means to study, to ask, from the root letter darash dalit resh shin ledrosh is to seek to ask questions to understand more about the words of torah the midrash says the land of israel sits at the center of the world jerusalem is in the center of the land of israel the sanctuary is in the center of Jerusalem the temple building is in the center of the sanctuary the ark is in the center of the temple building and the foundation stone is called in Hebrew Evenshtia out of which the word was founded is before the temple's building so this is what the Midrash says about the importance of Jerusalem to the world displayed on this map there are three floors in this museum. We are at the top floor and we're going to walk all the way down to the lower floor to see a movie about Jerusalem in the Second Temple period. I like and recommend this movie to all of my groups because this movie will take you through a spiritual journey and show you how the temple looked from inside and outside during the Second Temple period. It's like a virtual tour back to the days of the temple. And it speaks about pilgrims that came to visit during the second temple period and celebrate the feasts of tabernacles. And it is intertwined in both ancient and modern times. And this will be a very informative movie for the group. After finishing watching the movie, we will exit the exhibition building through a glass door and we will walk to the left side to see another excavated Herodian street. So all the group are standing on the lookout facing the Herodian road. And I will point for them about an arch known by the name Robinson Arch because this arch is named after the biblical scholar Edward Robinson who identified this arch the first time in 1838 and this is what used to be a monumental staircase 
carried by an unusual white stone arch, which once stood at the southern western corner of the Temple Mount. And many evidences were found here that the arch had in fact extended over this paved street. Imagine with me a bridge rising from the arch and going all the way down to the Herodian Street. Remains were also found at the right angles to the Robinson Arch of a row of smaller vaults whose height decreased gradually from north to south. And one of the piers supporting this row of vaults can be seen near the southern western corner of the Temple Mount. This row of vaults together with Robinson Arch supported a monumental flight of steps which led from the street to the Royal Stoa on the Temple Mount. And that was the entrance only for the high priest who lived in the Jewish quarter in the Second Temple period. Special entrance for them to the Temple. Many stone steps which had originally formed part of this structure as well as remains of the rampart were found among the fallen stones on the paved street of what we see in front of us. I want you to notice the huge slabs of stones. These stones were knocked from the walls of the Temple Mount during the 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. And these huge stones are the only evidence standing till today showing the destruction of the Temple. And I always like to quote Jesus' words from Scripture because it becomes alive here. I will read for you from Mark 13, verses 1 and 2. Look what Jesus said. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, Rabbi, what massive stones, what magnificent building. He's talking about the temple. Look what Jesus said. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So Jesus' words came true. And he said these words around 33 AD, and all the stones of the temple were destroyed around 70 AD. And this is what we see in front of us. The archaeologists found them exactly in this location and when they done the excavations they kept the stones exactly like what they look destroyed falling down and huge stones there is another important discovery if you look carefully all the way down before all these huge slabs of stone you can see a square drainage opening of a channel which was found under the street and from here, this drainage channel contains very rare findings from the days of the Second Temple period. This channel used to be the place where ancient fighters, Jewish fighters or the Zealots, escaped from the Romans, hoping to find shelter and refuge. And this channel leads all the way down to the city of David. Also, there is a very important scripture found on the walls. This inscription says, And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice. Of course, this is inscription in Hebrew, but I'm translating it. It was carved on a stone on the western wall. Several courses above the paved street level. I'm pointing it to you. This inscription is taken from a verse from the book of Isaiah with slight variations but the biblical text reads from Isaiah 66 14 and when you see this your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like young grass of course you see what you see the temple please also look to the southwest corner of the temple mount all the way to the top and I want to explain for you this huge building, this huge construction. The height of this southern western corner is around 480 meters high. 
which we can say around 1700 feet and this corner have stones around 10 meters long and the weight of the stones is enormous like 50 tons so these are huge slabs of stones from the Herodian period and if you look more carefully these large stones are well cut with the typical margins forming a rectangular frame so this is an evidence that these stones go all the way back to the time of Herod the Great the second temple period and you have to understand that all of these slabs of stones forms the walls of the temple mount which stands on bedrock from this corner of what we see the foundations are found seven stories beneath this street there is no plaster or other cement or material used in the first century so stability was ensured by the great weight of each stone on top of each other I want to point for you another stone that was found fallen on the paved street and we found a carved inscription reading in Hebrew to the trumpeting place two. On the basis of written sources this stone probably indicates the place where the high priest serving on the temple mount during the second temple period would stand blowing the shofar announcing the start of the holy day the stone itself the original one is on display in the israel museum what we see is a replica we will walk down the herodian street and we will continue through another paved street leads us to the south part of the wall and the path passes under the foundations of a huge Umayyad palace and ascends to a courtyard through one of the palace's rooms and you have to understand what you see of all these open spaces were palaces for the Umayyad dynasty these are the Muslims that ruled here in the 7th and the 8th century AD and made of Jerusalem a very important religious center for the Muslim world. Now all the group are approaching the southern steps, which are a great monumental staircase facing what we call the Hulda gates. And these were ancient gates of Jerusalem during the second temple period. And you have to understand there were 10 gates surrounding Jerusalem in that period of history and I will tell you the names of the gates four of them were in the northern part of the city the Yohanaya gate number one the other one the gate of the offering and the woman's gate and the fourth one the song gate there were another four gates in the south called the upper gate, the kindling gate, the firstlings gate, and the water gate. There were another two in the east, one of which is referred to as the Nicanor gate, according to Josephus. The Nicanor gate was located in the eastern wall of the woman's courtyard, and the most important two gates were in the south wall of the Temple Mount, known as the Hulda gates. These two gates may have been named after the prophetess Hulda, who according to tradition lived in Jerusalem in the first temple period. And these two gates are important because it led into the Temple Mount Royal Stoa, which means these were the two main entrances used by the people and the disciples entering to pray to the temple area and in archaeology we found a lot of ritual bath hundreds of ritual bath what we call the mikveh because as a jewish tradition before entering the temple the holy place 
everyone have to use the ritual bath to become cleansed in order to go up to the holy place so we can say this is like the hub of the city a very important centered location for the Jews during Jesus time so we learned a lot about archaeology a lot about history now we're gonna learn about the biblical text and what happened here so I will ask all the group to sit down at the southern steps facing the Kidron Valley with the view of the Mount of Olives to the left side and in front of them what used to be the upper city the location of the upper room and I want to connect for them all the story what happened here remember after Jesus resurrected he told the disciples and appeared to them 40 days and 40 nights and said to them do not leave Jerusalem till you receive the Holy Spirit let us read from Acts chapter 1 verses 3 to 5 verse 3 after his suffering you know after his suffering means after crucifixion he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God verse 4 on one occasion while he was eating with them he gave them this command do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift of my father promised which you have heard me speak about verse 5 for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit remember it was Passover and many Jews came from Galilee from Samaria and different parts of the ancient world they came up to Jerusalem up to the temple because of these important pilgrimage festival Passover and after Passover finish and the festival finish they have to leave back to their own homes to their own villages or to their own cities and because the feast has finished but look what Jesus told them do not leave stay till you receive the power of the Holy Spirit and during that time after Jesus resurrection he appeared to his disciples on numerous occasions so from resurrection to ascension around 40 days he appeared for his disciples remember he appeared first to Mary Magdalena after his resurrection and then we know about he appeared to the two disciples at the road to Emmaus and we are know about he appeared also to the disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he also appeared to Thomas so anyway the Bible speaks about 12 times Jesus appeared to the disciples before his ascension let us read about the ascension from Luke 24 verses 50 to 53 when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany he lifted up his hands and blessed them while he was blessing them he left them and was taken up into heaven verse 52 then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy verse 53 and they stayed continually at the temple praising God so look in verse 52 they returned to Jerusalem with great joy they should return back all the way to their villages but they listened to the resurrected Jesus to stay in Jerusalem so they did not leave and they stayed in Jerusalem and with verse 53 they stayed continually at the temple praising God where at the temple where we are right now the entrance to the temple so Jesus do not told them do not leave so so many of them stayed the 120 in one accord and was praying together because of his promise to them what is this promise Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And you know that there is another Jewish festival coming, the Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, which means 50 days after Jesus' death. So after Passover, seven weeks is the Feast of Pentecost. It is an Old Testament festival where all the people come together to thank the Lord for the harvest. Also another name for this festival is the First Fruits. Remember there are three pilgrimage festivals or feasts in the Bible. One in the springtime known as Passover, which commemorates the exodus from Egypt which Jesus became our Passover so this is the first of the three pilgrimage festivals the second one occurs in early summer 50 days after Passover the Pentecost which is called the first fruits and they commemorate Moses receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai in Hebrew we call it Shavuot Shavuot come from the Hebrew word Shavua, which means week or weeks, the festival of weeks. What weeks? Seven weeks after Passover. And the third festival is in the fall, the feast of the ingathering of the believers, the feast of tabernacles. So we have Passover, Pentecost and tabernacles. And all of these festivals are connected to each other. We will focus and talk about the Pentecost, the Feast of the Shavuot, which means the Feast of the Weeks, because the festival occurs seven weeks after Passover. You start counting on the second day of Passover. You count 49 days. And on the 50th day, you have the Pentecost. So the disciples of Jesus knew what was happening and knew about this festival coming and they were staying in Jerusalem like Jesus told them. And you have to understand that the Jewish Pentecost is the spiritual birth of Israel. The Passover was the Exodus only, just to prepare them to the Sinai experience. It's the same thing what's happening for the life of the disciples. Jesus died in Passover, just preparing the disciples what next is happening. So first is the physical and then is the spiritual. The giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai is the spiritual birth of Israel. And Jesus wants to give his disciples the spiritual birth because on Mount Sinai was the revelation of Torah. It's a revelational festival, the revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit. But Passover is the redemption story. So there is a connection between Passover and Pentecost. Passover is incomplete without Pentecost. And Pentecost is the completion of Passover. So you need to experience these two festivals during the Second Temple period. It's all connected. If you want to go from Exodus, from Egypt, up to Jerusalem, to the Promised Land, which is the house of rest, you must pass through Sinai, through Revelation. You must have the Pentecost experience. And this is what Jesus wants from his disciples to have the Pentecost experience. Exodus 19, God gave Torah on Mount Sinai to the Jewish people. They received life. What is Torah? Torah is life. It's very hard to explain Torah in one English word. I'm going to give you the meaning of Torah in three words. And I want you to remember the word dig. D-I-J. Dig. D stands for direction. I stands for instructions. G stands for guidance. 
So God gave Torah on Mount Sinai, gave life. He gave directions to Moses. He gave him instructions and he gave him guidance by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's very important to receive the Holy Spirit, to have directions in your life. Torah brings life. When you read scripture, it brings life to you. It brings directions. When you hear instructions from God, he will guide you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is Torah. Direction, instruction, and guidance. I will share with you a very short personal story. Once I was in Texas and a Baptist pastor took me shooting to a range. I love shooting guns. By the way, it was not my first time. But I love going with pastors. And they teach me how to use the gun. And this pastor was so enthusiastic that he just was so excited for me going to shoot with him some guns. And after I signed all the forms and they prepared all the guns in the ranch, and he was explaining for me and giving me exact directions how to hold the gun and I listened carefully to him and he even placed his hands on top of my hands and gave me guidance and he gave me directions exact direction and he gave me instructions what to do and where to look and he told me when even to shoot and when I shoot it on the target, because he gave me good details, I went all the way and got to the mark, to the center precisely. I was in a shock. He was even impressed. But the result was so precise, to the mark, to the point from my first shot, because I listened carefully. So when you read Torah, when you read scripture, when you listen carefully to God, directions, instructions, and guidance, you get to the mark, you get to the point, to life. And the pastor was so much proud of me because I got almost 99% to the mark in the inner circle. I knew it, it will happen because it was not my first shot, okay? Not because of me, but because he was a good instructor. So, Moses received Torah by the finger of God. You know what it means, the finger of God? It means the Spirit of the Lord. He was obedient. He listened carefully. Look what is written in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. So this is a revelation to the people. Not just for Moses, the two tablets, the commandments he received, but to all the nations. God is telling his people to be prepared for the day of revelation and Moses went up to the mountain and he received Torah on the 50th day and he brought it down to the 12 tribes from the 12 tribes to the 70 sages to the 120 to all the Jewish people on the entire earth and this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost people received life they received the Holy Spirit to the 120 disciples who were all in one accord to all over the world. And when Moses went all the way down from the mountain with the tablet, he found that the people had sinned, the sin of adultery. They turned from worshiping Yahweh into worshiping a golden calf because he left for so many days. They could not wait. They had no patience. You have to understand, God is a jealous God. He wants us to wait for Him, to worship Him alone. Because He's holy. 
he wants us to seek his spirit and not worshipping other gods like the golden calves that led them to judgment. And as Moses came down from the mountain, he gathers the Levites and go to the camp and God orders him to slaughter 3,000 people. You have to understand, God is very interested in the fellowship of his people. He wants to dwell in the midst of us because he has a purpose for each one of us. Let us read from Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So why did Jesus die and pass over on the cross? That his spirit will dwell with us and he will give it to the disciples to function in this world as kingdom of priests, to receive revelation from God. In Pentecost, God descends, God reveals himself. God always come down. He came down in creation. He came down in Sinai. He came down in Jesus. New Jerusalem will come down from heavens because he wants to indwell in us. So permit him to come inside your hearts and permit the presence of his Holy Spirit to fill you. This is what Jesus wanted from his disciples, a Pentecost experience. And look what the prophet Joel speaks in chapter 2, a prophecy about Pentecost that falls later. Let us read from Joel chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. I want to add context to what happened at the southern steps here. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord, your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. Verse 24. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. New wine and oil. Let us jump to verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens on the earth. Verse 32, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So note verse 32, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are whom the Lord calls. The point is the Spirit of God is active among the ones who calls Him and ask for His Spirit. And this is what happened. The glory of God will be filled in the upper room. The obedience and repentance is needed. The obedience of heart. The hardness of the heart brings judgment and brings the removal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But obedience brings His presence according to the Old Testament witness of the Spirit. Let us look at another prophecy, the prophecy of Ezekiel, the vision he saw in Ezekiel chapter 10. It's a long vision, you can read it, but I we going to give you the summary of it. Ezekiel sees the Spirit of God removed itself from the temple, from Jerusalem. Look at the sequence here, how it removed itself. The cloud that fills the inner court, the Holy of Holies, moved out to the threshold of the temple. And then from the threshold, the cloud departs to the east. The Spirit hovers over the eastern gate, stopping there and hovering there and then the glory of the Lord goes out of the eastern gate 
out of the city and then goes and hover on the Mount of Olives. And then the destruction of the temple took place. And look what happened in the New Testament. Jesus restores the Holy Spirit when he arrives to Jerusalem during Passover. He started his ministry at the Mount of Olives, entering the city, then to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he makes his way through the Kidron Valley to the Eastern Gate, and the glory that departs to the East that went away now returns from the East through Jesus with his message. And he becomes the Passover lamb. Redemption. And he pours his spirit back on Jerusalem, on Mount Zion. The day of Pentecost. So, God's spirit now is not only in the temple, but it's available for everyone, for all his servants who are obedient. We become the temple of God. Looks what is written in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 and 15. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Again, as we learned earlier, after Jesus ascends up to heaven, after 40 days, the disciples returns to Jerusalem, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to a room. They constantly prayed together in one accord. That does not mean that they stayed in the upper room for 40 days. It's very important to understand. They went from the room to the temple to pray, and they went to their homes where they stayed at night, but they went back to pray. Let us read from the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You see what is written? They continued to meet together in the temple courts and in their homes. Okay? So let us also look at what is written in Acts chapter 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So they were Jews. They were all the time engaged in the temple prayers. So they went also to the temple to pray and they were not only located in one location, in one place, in one room. And the Bible say in one accord together. What does it mean? This is common mindset that they had one accord it means the mindset of repentance the mindset of humility and the mindset of obedience a continuous process of being humbled and broken let me stretch you and imagine what was going in the minds of the disciples what it means in one accord they were so much humble and they were talking together in conversations probably. They were talking together like they begin talking about, let's say, about Judas, how he betrayed Jesus. And then Peter will, imagine with me, will step up and say, well, I know better, I denied him too. Thomas says, I am not better, I doubted his resurrection also. Others said, none of us are worthy. We all ran away from the Garden of Gethsemane when, they came, when the Romans came to surrender him. When they knew their weaknesses as humans and when they were broken, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So they came in one accord and they were counting the days of Pentecost. Let us read from Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and the Spirit enabled them. The Bible says they were together in one place. What is the one place most people come to? Many people will automatically jump to the conclusion that was the upper room. No, but if you get deeper into that, if you look at the context of the scripture, just to remind you, this is the festival of Shavuot. This is one of the three important pilgrimage festivals. Men and women from 70 nations had come to Jerusalem for this specific day. They are all gathering at the temple, not at the upper room. This is the custom where offerings are taking place and celebrations and worship. By the way, the word here that says the house where they were sitting in Acts chapter 2 verse 2, the word here for house in Hebrew means habayt, which means the temple. So the Hebrew word depend on the context. So the same word habayt can be mentioned in different sentences but have different meanings. This is the beauty of the Hebrew. So if you know Hebrew, you understand the context according to the sentence. And in here it says, uh, we're gathered at the house. The house means the temple. For example, look what is written in Psalm 122 verses 1 and 2. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. What is the house of the Lord? It's the temple. Jesus uses the same terminology even in Matthew 21 verse 13. Let me read it for you. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus is saying, you turn the house of prayer into den of thieves. He is talking about the temple. So what happens? They are all gathered together in one place, the temple area. What area? Where we are sitting here. And look what happens. Imagine with me, there are so many crowds in the temple because of Pentecost, because of the Jewish feast inside the temple and outside the temple and surrounding the temple and especially in the southern steps which is the main gateway the main entrance to the temple and look what happens suddenly there is a sound like a blowing of violent wind it's very important a sound like a blowing of violent wind it doesn't say there was a wind. It says there was a sound like a rushing wind. It filled the whole house, filled all the temple, filled all the area of the temple, inside and outside. Let me read for you Acts chapter 2 verse 2 again. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting the whole house where they were sitting on the staircases we are here sitting on the same location this is the festival of Shavuot all the temple is crowded thousands of people sitting here when they sound like the sound of the blowing wind the sounds means of the blowing of the shofars of the temple, celebrating the day of Pentecost. 
and the whole place is filled with this roaring sound of the shofars announcing the celebrations of receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai. What happens next? They saw what it seems tongues of fire that rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Remember, Jews came from 70 nations specially to celebrate this festival, to be part of this festival. The main characteristic to be filled in the Spirit is not only speaking in other tongues. It is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the Word of God. When you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it means you speak forth for God. You witness for Him. You declare by your own mouth about His glory. You declare the Word of God and you speak the truth. It is a spirit of truth you declare from your own mouth to the other Jews in the temple area because you get filled by His glory. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you become on fire to the Lord. You declare about His love. You declare about His sacrifice, what He done to you. So the power of the Holy Spirit came and indwelled in the believers inside them and they proclaimed by their own mouth in different languages because they came from different parts from different nations 70 nations with different languages and everyone in his own language because of a field of joy every man every woman that came from different nations and different places they proclaimed each one in their language for the others that they can understand in everyone in his own language they proclaiming and declaring for the Jews who came from these 70 nations to understand what is happening they are filled with the Holy Spirit and joy Look what is written in Acts chapter 2 verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They are boldly declaring the wonders of God. Acts 2.11 Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Again, when you are filled in the Spirit, you talk about God's glory. The truth comes out, and they were giving the power to boldly proclaim the wonders of God. They asked Peter, what shall we do? Peter was preaching at the southern steps here and saying, repent, be baptized by the authority of the name of Jesus. So please read from Acts chapter 2 verses 14 to 30 where Peter preaching to the crowds. He was filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with words of truth. So he proclaimed about the power of God. And what happened? 3,000 came to faith. They were all baptized here in this area. Remember I told you archaeologists found hundreds of ritual baths in this area where we are sitting and under the authority of Jesus name they were baptized. By the way, this is the fulfillment of Jewel prophecy that we just learned about. So where did Pentecost take place? Here in the temple area in the southern steppes where the believers gathered, where the Jews went to pray in one accord because of the Feast of Pentecost. It's all happened here around us in this area, the day of Pentecost, filled with joy and the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming God's goodness to the world. And after I do all this teaching, the people will understand more about Pentecost. 
Also, I will ask from one of the group members, the worship leader, to come in front and have some worship songs related to the day of Pentecost or related to the Holy Spirit. And when we start worshiping, there'll be a presence of God and His Spirit and people are rejoicing. So I will give them like 20 minutes just to enjoy the presence of God and worshiping at the southern steps where early believers received the Pentecost, where Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. All happened here in the area of the southern steps.